In many ways, plastic is a miracle material. It's light, it's durable, it's flexible, but it outstays its welcome. And the Western world is addicted to making it, using it, and then throwing it away. Right now, Canada's recycling rate for plastics is just 9%. The rest of it, 91% of the millions of tons of plastic Canadians use each year, ends up in a landfill, or a beach, or in our water systems. And as the world runs headlong into a climate emergency, and as the federal government is announcing a ban on single-use plastics, it's high time we find ways to reuse the plastics that already exist. Enter the circular plastics economy. Theoretically, it is possible to have an economy that puts post-consumer plastics to better use with minimal byproducts and environmental harm. But why is Canada struggling to create this infrastructure, technology, and capacity? And in an economy already grappling with recession from COVID-19, who is going to step up to finance this change? I'm Kira Johnston, and this is the Leadership Perspective series from the Conference Board of Canada. Each episode, we sit down with an expert or experts to hear their perspectives on an issue that's affecting the lives of Canadians. From the Conference Board's sustainability team, Dr. Babatunde Oleteju is back with us this week, and we're going to talk about financing Canada's circular plastics economy. Hi, Tunde. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Kira. It's great to be back. Tunde, I'd like to begin by asking you, how did our lives get so wrapped up in plastics? It has a lot to do with the fact that these are durable, cheap materials, and we have an abundance of natural resources that we use to produce them, from natural gas and oil in North America to places like China, where they use coal to produce their plastics. They're also extremely versatile. They can be used in a number of applications. Think of your leftovers from dinner last night that you put in a plastic container that you're going to eat the next day. Think of your insulation that you use in the winter. These are derived from plastics, polyurethane. Think of your car. It has plastic parts. Planes, they have plastic parts. We're in COVID. Think about personal protective equipment. These are also made from plastics. Plastics are extremely ubiquitous. They're so pervasive in our economies, and we've had issues, particularly with their end of life. Plastics are not inherently problematic. It's what we do with them at the end of life that is really a challenge, particularly in Canada. Canada's announced that many single-use plastics we use every day will be banned by the end of 2021. Tunde, how is the industry responding? The industry's response is going to be quite varied, depending on what your interest is. For instance, if you take a look at the plastic recycling industry, they're probably pleased because some of these items that are included in the ban have high degrees of contamination and relatively low market value. There's a strong likelihood that the quality of the feedstocks that they use is actually going to increase. If you take a look at the resin producers, single-use plastics constitute about 50% of the market globally. Some items, for example, films, your plastic bags you're using in a grocery store, in Canada, constitute about 11% of the market. It's a significant amount of market share in general. It's non-trivial. It's going to be something that they're not going to be ecstatic about. But many resin producers saw this coming, probably made a pivot in their marketing strategy, what they looked to produce ahead of this. This was on the horizon for quite some time. And Canada is not the first jurisdiction to introduce such a ban. There are a number of other jurisdictions that have introduced similar bans. And the interesting thing about the ban is that it's actually quite targeted. It's not a widespread ban. The only six products that are included in the ban, it might not be as problematic for the resin producers as one would think just on the face of it. The last thing I would say is that if you take a look at some of the consumers that are part of the industry, 
And the fact that we are in an environment where everybody's working from home, we don't socialize, we don't gather as much as we do, we don't go into restaurants to have meals the same way that we used to due to the pandemic. Restaurants are increasingly reliant on the availability of packaging for the food that they sell and for the use of their customers. And this packaging has to be available at the right cost. The question is, will the restaurant industry in Canada be able to access alternatives at an acceptable cost? That is going to be quite key for the restaurant industry. And we just wanted to highlight that the reaction from the industry in general is quite varied, depending on where you stand in the plastics economy. Tunde, in terms of your commentary, would you mind explaining the difference between a linear plastics economy and a circular one? In a linear model, which is currently what we have, I would summarize it in four words. We take, we make, we use and dispose. This has a number of challenges associated with it. The first is that when we take resources from the earth, we do so in a way that is not really resource efficient. And that has a number of environmental consequences. For instance, there is biodiversity loss associated with the intensity of our resource extraction. There's also climate change impacts. Production of plastics, for instance, it does come with greenhouse gas emissions footprint, which is not trivial. And then when we think about how we make products, we often don't make products with the intention of designing them to be suitable for disassembly, for repair, for remanufacturing, in terms of extending the longevity of their value in the economy. That's the way we need to think. And that's really what the circular economy emphasizes, particularly at the design stage. We have to weed the consumers. The residential sector being an example, we need to think about reuse, we need to think about reduction, because we need to think about recycling and taking that seriously. Waste doesn't go away, it goes somewhere. Only 9% of plastics in Canada are recycled. That needs to change. Going back to the way that we extract resources, we need to be resource efficient. We need to extract resources in a way that doesn't impact biodiversity, doesn't exacerbate the climate change issue. We need to design plastic products in a way that takes into account inherently disassembly, repair, remanufacturing. We need to essentially design waste out of the system. We also need to extend the longevity of the value of plastic products. We need to ensure that we maximize the full value of these materials, and we continue to do so in a repeated fashion. You say that the plastics industry in Canada is unfit for a circular economy. Why is that? It's unfit at the moment. Hopefully that will change soon. The reason why we say that in the commentary is if you take a look at your plastic resin producers, they have revenues of about 10 billion as of 2017. These are dominated by multinational publicly traded entities that have access to capital and have significantly formidable balance sheets. When we take a look at the recycling industry in Canada, again, which is the competitor to the resin producers, in 2016, they had a revenue total of about 350 million. That's 30 times less than the revenue stream of the resin producers in Canada. And don't forget that these are actually the competitors to the recycling industry because the recycling industry seeks to supply plastic manufacturers with recycled or recycling, as it's called. If we take a look at their revenue streams, it's miniature compared to the resin producers. And then when you think about a circular economy, you would think that at least you would have an equal capacity on the upstream side, so from the resin producers, as well as the downstream side. But our plastics recycling capacity, again, is quite small relative to the resin producers. We produce about 4.6 million tons of plastics every year in Canada. And like I said, we're only recycling 9% of that. So that gives you an indication as well of the fact that we do need added infrastructure. We do need added recycling capacity. I would add that the recycling industry is dominated by small, medium enterprises. These are private, small businesses with an employee base of maybe five, 10 employees typically. It varies across the country, but it suffices to say that these are relatively small. They don't have access to capital. None of them are publicly traded. 
They also don't have the sort of balance sheets to make the investments that they need to, to be commensurate with the recycling or the resin producing industry in Canada. So this is why we say that currently our plastic recycling industry isn't fit for a circular economy. Can you expand on those barriers that Canada's recyclable plastics businesses face? The plastic recycling industry has had a hard time in recent years. For instance, if you're a business, they don't have much control over their feedstock. They depend on people like you and I to recycle and recycle in a way that doesn't involve contaminants. Because once you have contaminants in your recycled bags, well, that contaminates the rest of the products that they have. They don't have much control over their quality of their feedstock because they depend on people like you and I. They also depend on the plastics manufacturers themselves because they have no say in the types of plastics that are produced and the colors of these plastic products. When we take a look at the plastics recycling industry, they have to compete with resin producers. And I mentioned earlier that these are formidable entities with significant access to capital, significant balance sheets. They produce in the millions of tons. And they're all competing to serve the same consumer, which is the plastic manufacturers. And the price of their product is dependent on the oil price, again, which they have very little control over. So when oil prices are low, primary plastics, or sometimes called virgin plastics, are significantly cheap. And it's very difficult for them to compete. And then they also have very little control regarding whether or not their product is in demand. Plastics manufacturers will always make the decision to consume these plastics recyclates based on what the price of a virgin plastic is. And also inherently, because they use recycled plastics, the quality compared to virgin plastics is often seen as inferior because recycled plastics also have other constituents like additives and other compounds to enable certain properties. So this also compromises the quality of their product. Despite all these challenges, there is a reason for optimism. Firstly, we're seeing increasingly, even in Canada and elsewhere, governments as well as corporate entities setting targets for recycled plastic content. And that's significant. That gives the plastics recycling industry demand certainty. That also allows them progressively to make the price of their product independent of the price of a virgin plastic resource. The second thing is that we're also seeing action from consumers themselves. There's a lot of increased awareness about the problem of plastic pollution. And that's put a lot of pressure on brand owners. They're taking action to declare voluntary commitments to do their part. These pressures have been a boon to the plastic recycling industry because they all indicate the fact that it's going to be increasing demand for their products. And in fact, the worry now is whether or not the plastic recycling industry can actually keep up with the demand that will occur in future. Financing would be needed for them to grow fast enough to allow us to be able to recycle and keep these plastic materials in the economy in a circular fashion. Financing is also a key part of making that pivot for the plastics recycling industry real. Tunde, what is sustainable finance and how could it potentially help? Sustainable finance is finance that is linked to environmental, social, and governance performance. The receiving entity of capital would have to demonstrate or disclose to the creditor how they're performing on environmental, social, and governance fronts. That's what sustainable finance essentially is. In terms of how we could help, if we get entities to have to disclose on their performance in the circular realm, that could really help. There's a lot of talk in the finance community about what they call transition bonds. Transition bonds are targeted towards those entities that are quote-unquote brown industries that are making strides to become less brown and more green, which is why they would have a potentially significantly larger scope than the green bond instrument currently covers. So there's a lot of potential there. But what's lacking at the moment is any clear indication or definition as to what transition means in the context of a circular economy. 
How are we getting resin producers, for example, of plastics to demonstrate that they are becoming increasingly circular in their thinking and in their operations? Sustainable finance and transition bonds can make these connections real and can hold resin producers and the upstream side of the plastics industries, hold them to account in terms of how they are going forward to demonstrate that indeed they're enabling a circular economy. That's one way that sustainable finance could help and transition bonds specifically. Thank you, Tunde, for being on this episode and for coming back into the podcast. What other projects does your team have on the go right now? We're currently looking at the future of Canada's electricity system. We have a virtual convening series called Electrifying Canada that we're executing at the moment. We've had a number of different stakeholders in Canada's electricity system be part of the conversation. Canada's electricity system is changing quite dramatically. We're seeing increasingly high levels of penetration of intermittent renewable generation, things like solar and wind. We're seeing in the storage market, even though it's still in its early phases, but that's also beginning to grow as an asset on the grid. We're seeing increasing calls for grid integration across Canada. We're asking questions about the future of natural gas in electricity markets. We're asking questions about the distributed electricity grid, given the fact that electricity and data don't only flow in one direction. These days, consumers are active participants on the grid. There's a lot of things happening in Canada's electricity system that we would like to unpack with convening, like I said, this virtual convening series and with research. Quite excited about this project and look forward to telling you what we learned. For everyone listening, you can check out Dr. Oliteju's commentary, Balancing Power with Capital in Canada's Circular Plastics Economy, by following the links in the episode description. And you can find out more about the sustainability team's projects, as well as our latest COVID-19 coverage at conferenceboard.ca. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. Leadership Perspectives is hosted by Kira Johnston and written by Sarah Mells. Nancy Nguyen is our audio engineer, and Andy Joy is our post-production editor. Our executive producer is Michael Bassett, and ideas were also contributed by Rob Collins and Aaron Brophy. For more podcasts, research, commentary, and ideas, visit conferenceboard.ca.